Welcome to the Soul of Islam radio podcast with Ahmed Saqqa Amini and Emil Ihsan Alexander Turabi. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. May the peace, the mercy, and the blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be upon you. This is episode number two. My name is Ahmed Saqqa Amini and I'm a researcher in atomic molecular optical physics, a spoken word artist who's deeply committed on shedding the light on the connections between science and spirituality with our community and beyond. The Soul of Islam radio podcast is dedicated to sharing the deeper dimension of Islam and to supporting your personal growth and spiritual development. We host a range of guest speakers on a variety of relevant topics, all with the singular purpose of helping our community to move forward in the progressive spirit of Islam. The topic for today's podcast is Healing Childhood Trauma, How to Heal Your Emotional Wounds. Dina is a graduate from the University of Spiritual Healing and Sufism. She's active in the fields of spiritual healing, nutrition, and wellness, and she currently resides in Encinitas, California. We're very excited to have her here today. Dina, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. So let's start with the first question. I'll address that question to you, Dina. Just to put things into perspective, what is childhood trauma and what are emotional wounds? I guess I could start with saying that childhood trauma is anything a child is. uh, They are misconceived notions from childhood, basically. Uh, A child comes into this world full of light and joy. And you can see that when you look into the eyes of any newborn child. Um, There's no separation between the child and its environment or anything around it. And as time starts to progress... And the child starts to develop its own consciousness and the consciousness of the world around it. um, It is very easy to start to misconceive certain messages from its environment. Uh, So an example being um, maybe mom was very busy doing something and a child was crying and it didn't receive its milk or its food. Uh, a misconception that can happen in this moment instead of seeing the real factual reality of what's going on as mom is just unavailable in this moment is maybe mom doesn't love me or maybe I don't get my needs met. And um, we can carry these little messages that we interpret of the environment around us into our adulthoods and they can start to operate uh, in our subconscious mind and um, start to sneak into our everyday relationships at work, uh, with our beloveds, uh, with our family, um, without us even being conscious of them. And there are um, many, many of these wounds that we carry around without even knowing them. I see. So there is a need for an, an emotional healing process. There is beauty in experiencing such trauma because we feel distant from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we go through a journey to remember what it was like. Yes, I I don't know if there's necessarily a need, like it's something that we are creating or needed. I I just feel like that is almost like the the setup of the play. Uh, You know, it's um, you start in wholeness, you start in purity, then you experience falling from grace and whatever, you know, uh, format that take shape in your personal life and your personal journey and you can either uh, become a victim to those traumatic experiences and continue to follow darkness and negativity down uh, the wrong path or you can use it as an empowering experience to seek wholeness again and to seek healing and reconnection with Allah and 
know what it feels like to personally be seeking Allah instead of just being um, naturally graced with the presence of Allah. Understood. We tend to fall victims to our emotional wounds or the experience itself. Well, I don't think it's it's either. For uh, my understanding of it is that we fall victim to the misinterpretation of the incident. Uh, so, for example, um, if you are being physically abused or emotionally abused or neglected or abandoned by a parent or a sibling or you know a um, protector figure in your life in some way, um, instead of seeing the reality of the matter, instead of seeing the real truth of what's going on, that this person is maybe themselves in a lot of pain, or maybe they've been treated that way in their own past, in their life, and this is the only way they know how to cope with the reality, and they don't really mean to hurt or abuse you, this is just all they know, that's, that's, the, that's the fact of what's going on. Instead, we tend to make our own misconceptions and personalize the experience of like, oh, I must be being hit because I'm not good enough, or I'm not loved, or I'm a bad person, or I'm a bad boy or a bad girl. And that's where the misconception about the situation happens. And these are the types of voices and images that we start to carry along in our lives that are operating underneath in a psychological way that tend to ruin our future relationships, jobs, sabotage our ability to um, do good in the world and be the people that we want to be. So I think the falling victim is the falling victim to the misconception, not necessarily the act itself. What kind of experience is considered traumatic? Does it depend on the experience itself or does it depend on the child? It definitely depends on the person because you can have a set of identical twins that grow up in a a very same situation and react to the quote-unquote traumatic experience that's going on in their household very, very differently. It's how we personally internalize the wound and have the misconception about it rooted in our being. So, for example, I was working with um, a set of twins uh, that one, uh, they were both heavily abused physically by their father as young girls. One uh, grew up to pass on the behavior to her children and do the same thing, and the other became an uh, advocate against chi- child abuse. Identical twins, genetically, biologically, the same people, grew up in the same household, but it is about the internalizing of the experience, what happens in the mind, what happens in the internal narrative and dialogue, and um, my personal belief is is that these, from an Islamic point of view, that these this is where shaitan um, starts to whisper particular messages to us, and it is our choice to start to believe and internalize these messages, or to say, oh, that doesn't make sense, that doesn't work for me. And so shaitan is uh, kind of throwing these random messages that is always like, oh, this must mean this about you, or this must mean you're a bad person, or mom doesn't love you, or nobody cares about you, or you're all alone, or whatever. And some of us truly internalize and believe, wow, this is my own voice, and we can't make separation. And sometimes Allah veils us from from these voices for his own particular reasons, and sometimes we are being allowed to receive and internalize them for other reasons that we don't understand all in the name for, for, from my point of view and my understanding, um, eventually lead us to our particular paths and our particular healing processes. Do you feel that healing from childhood trauma uh, and such experiences are addressed sufficiently in our society 
in media, in Islamic centers, in our homes? I believe that um, the West recently has embarked on uh, a psychological discovery of how to better address these things in the home, in the school place. But it is all very kind of mental and based on um, this kind of symptomatic analyzing and um, what I call um, um, like pathologizing. And uh, even though it works to a certain extent, I don't find it to be as helpful as using spiritual tools for healing. Unfortunately, um, in third world world cultures um, uh, that have have religion but have really lost touch with the spiritual aspect of their religion, a lot of um, healing around childhood trauma and addressing um, things that happen in the household or at school or anything like that is pretty much absent in my personal experience uh, other than just, you know... <clears throat> telling someone to pray about it or to go see a sheikh to do some, you know, prayers about it, which can sometimes be effective. But if we're not acknowledging and addressing that there is something that's happening and there is um, something broken in the household, um, it tends to not be as effective. And I feel that in our particular cultures, in Islamic cultures, at least that I've been exposed to, there's a lot of shame about talking about what happens in the home. We're not allowed to talk about what happens in the home. It's not okay to um, really truly share um, the things that are happening. We're supposed to protect each other and our family from from the shame or from the um, exposing what's happening. And it's supposed to be private and secret, which is shame in itself is what keeps these particular patterns and wounds in place. when. Uh, you know, the, uh, my belief is the word kuffar, the word kafir, it means to, to cover up the truth, means to hide something. And that is genuinely what allows a pattern or uh, something dark to keep having hold, is to hide it. Once it's in the open, once it's been exposed to light, it can't hide, you know? It's like uh, when you walk into a, a room and there's you have a roach infestation or something, once you turn on the lights, they just scatter you know so darkness scatters in the face of light but as long as you keep it in the dark it has hold on you and i that that's what i believe has happened to our cultures we tend to keep a lot of the family secrets and a lot of things that happen at home in the dark and not exposed we're not allowed to talk about them where at least here in the west they've they, they've got half of the picture right we're allowed to talk about things we have school counselors and things like that it's not as big of a shame to say something's happening at home or you know do you think shame is the only reason or shame is the only reason that we don't tend to express ourselves in our homes shame is one of the biggest reasons that emotional patterns don't move mm. shame um and tr because shame is basically trying to allow something not to be seen because you have fear that if it becomes seen there will be some sort of judgment or um, um, consequence that is unpleasant. And as long as you're operating from a place of fear, you're not operating from a place of God. Mm. So there should be no fear. And if, if we're trying to protect something based on fear and not based on light and love and mercy, then you're, it's basically from shaitan, you mm -hmm. know? You should never hide something because you're afraid of someone's judgment 
the only judgment we should be afraid of is Allah's, not other people's. Subhanallah, fear seems to stop us from so many things. Yes, yes, it is the operative thing. Well, what happens when we do not address and heal from childhood emotional trauma? Well, then we start to, like I said, these mis- misconceptions from childhood, they they can represent themselves in many ways. Either an image in your mind, you can start, you know, you can have a, a recurring picture in your mind of something that happened in your childhood. We all kind of have these interesting flashbacks of maybe mom did this or dad didn't do that or this is the way dad acted at the dinner table or whatever. And these can subconsciously act out. Another part of the misconception is the voice associated with the particular trauma. So like we were talking about earlier, if dad is an alcoholic and he beat you or he did something inappropriate, instead of seeing the reality of the matter is of dad is in a lot of pain and he does not know how else to deal with the situation, we take it as an I must be a bad person or I'm stupid or I'm this. And then these small voices, we have like a whole collection of them and they sit in our psyche or in our soul or whatever you want to call that in a, in a very deep level that we can't even really hear it, but they're constantly speaking to us. Mm. You'll enter a situation and you'll find maybe, for example, there's a person who's just constantly apologizing for their existence. Oh, sorry. Sorry, I, I did this. Sorry, I touched that. Like, let me get out of your way. That Maybe their underlying picture or their underlying uh, voice is that, I'm not allowed. I'm not allowed to take up space. I'm not good enough to be here. Uh, I'm not supposed to um, have an opinion or a voice. And we're not really conscious of these voices, but when we start to address uh, childhood trauma through spiritual healing, we'll start to do sessions where these voices can start to be heard. These voices can start to come out, and then we can start to see what's actually being said internally, constantly, what, what's the track? What's the, what's the tape that's constantly playing? And once we figure out these voices and these pictures that we're carrying around, then spiritual healing can, inshallah, with the grace of Allah and inviting Allah into these spaces, can start to shift and heal. But as long mm-hmm. as we're not conscious, as long as we're um, kuffar, <laughs> mm-hmm. hiding it, it's covering it. covering it up, it's mm-hmm. never going to shift. Mm. So there's the whole problem of recognizing and identifying these voices first because many of us are not even aware yes. that those voices are there. Yes, we are So that's veiled. a whole other problem. Mm-hmm. From your sessions with people, have you experienced something like that where uh, you had uh, clients, let's say, uh, who were not able to identify these voices? And Some people, it, it the veil is so thick and so mm. guarded. Whatever it is that they have shame about or they don't whatever it is that doesn't want to be healed Mm. that's operating can put up tons of masks around it and barriers and walls that have to be worked through. So so some people, you can just leave them in and it comes up right away. Some people can take five, six, several sessions to Mm. really get through, even just getting them to feel anything because they're so numb. They're so, you know, some people have serious trauma. Some people have been, you know highly violated and their only way of coping has been to completely check out of reality or disassociate from their own bodies and feelings and to get them back to just simply feeling is a whole process let alone getting to the things underneath the feelings that are motivating their actions and behaviors and patterns so every person is unique and every person Allah has a very special healing 
path for them that is just needs to be discovered. It's all about being willing to embark on that journey and allowing Allah to lead you through that and not be afraid of what's going to come up. Mm. Okay, so there's the identifying and recognizing the voices, and then there's a whole another problem of remembering the experience itself. The particular healing modalities that I have learned, I, I genuinely believe in the concept of not going and digging up dead bodies. Uh, this is uh, something that one of my uh, teachers and sheikh has has really made very clear to me. It's like if you go looking for dead bodies, if you go digging up dead bodies, all you're gonna find is stench. So it's not about like Western psychology where it's like, okay, now we're gonna go and we're gonna remember and what do you remember from your childhood and has anybody ever abused? It's not about that at all. It's about inviting a law into the space and allowing Allah to guide the actual session. And if something happens to come up, then you work with it. If Allah's bringing something, is unearthing something for you to look at and be with, beautiful, alhamdulillah. But Allah, Allah created the entire cosmos. Allah can, can heal something without you ever having to remember it or re-experience it or go through the trauma again of it whatsoever. So it's, um, it's less of a process of going back and trying to figure out who did what or... You know, not at all. It's more of a, what do you feel right now? And how do we follow that that trail, that path um, with the guidance of Allah, inshallah, and some surahs and some chanting, etc. Some dhikr, some remembrance. Some remembrance. Yeah. So from my own experience, let's say uh, something intense happened to me. A lot of emotions, a lot of feelings, and then a few days will pass by and things will settle down and I tend to forget. So when I think back, I say to myself, oh, that wasn't too bad. Not recognizing that it changed something inside of me. Mm. So do you think that's a reason why we tend to uh, ignore such traumatic experiences? I think this is an excellent question because it's more about the toolbox that you have while the experience is actually happening did you grow up in an environment? Have you been conditioned to have an experience um, and be very confused about the feelings that you're having and not be able to identify what you're feeling in the moment and just kind of want to walk away from it all and make it all disappear and not deal with it because you generally don't know what to do. You generally don't know how to identify what's going on with you or with the other person or how to communicate properly about what you're feeling and needing in the moment. And uh, this tends to be the case for a lot of us. We, we, we're not giving the tools of how to understand what we're feeling, how to tell other people how we're feeling without feeling that it's going to cause further altercation or bring up more stuff. Uh, we tend to want to swallow it or repress it or make it go away. Or uh, You use the very uh, interesting word that a lot of people use, when it all settles down. What does that really mean? Did it actually settle down or did we put it in a box and throw it in the back of our mind somewhere? With you know, So what is it exact? how is it exactly we're dealing with the particular incident in the moment determines whether we're acknowledging and moving through it as it's happening or are we just putting it on the back burner with all the other stuff that we've been putting on the back burner for years. And eventually that can either cause emotional outbreaks uh, or breakdowns or uh, physical ailments. Uh, all sorts of things start to happen when we really genuinely just don't know how to deal with feelings in the moment. 
So um, that's my spin or take on mm-hmm. your experience. Do you feel that uh, it is possible to avoid childhood emotional trauma with conscious parenting? I believe it can be minimized. It can be um, dealt with better. But I feel that we all come into this world with a contract with the law of what our emotional uh, challenges and tests are going to be. And I think you can read all the books and take all the parenting classes and try to be the best parent you can. But you genuinely cannot protect your children from having their own human experience and being human doesn't mean just feeling good all the time being human means pain and suffering and it's um um it's a phenomena that we tend to want to scientifically categorize feelings as good and bad and right and wrong feelings are all just feelings they're uh, a rainbow and array a variety of human experiences and We're here in this world to experience all of it. Sadness, sorrow, pain, love, ecstasy. And um, to want to protect our children and only want them to feel just love and joy and, you know, happiness and ecstasy is selfish and is um, taking away from their experience of, of being human. So what I do think can be done with conscious parenting is you can give your child the proper tools to deal with uh, particular circumstances in their life so that they're not doing what the rest of us have been doing and piling up the junk on the back burner and then having breakdowns and meltdowns and emotional outbursts or physical ailments based on not being able to deal with your emotions. But you can't protect them from trauma. You can't protect a child from even their own misinterpretations or their relationship to shaitan or you know you can minimize it but you can't eliminate it i don't think so how about for parents uh some parents will say i don't have the proper tools i don't i don't i don't even know what to do what do you have any suggestions for such parents i think that there is a plethora of tools available and if the parent genuinely and truly wanted to they would seek and ask and with the world today and the internet and Google, everything is at the tips of your fingers and you can do research in your underwear at home. You know, you don't need to go seek a guru on the top of a mountain anymore or anything like that. It's just, you know, it's your level of commitment to actually wanting to find tools. I mean, we find ourselves as a generation who's having to seek our own tools. We weren't taught. My parents definitely didn't teach me anything. I had to seek all of the things that I know on my own. And it comes from a genuine motivation to want to change and to want to have the tools. So um, I encourage people to ask, to surround themselves by people they want to emulate, to read, you know, the appropriate books, to put in the effort uh, instead of just saying, well, I just don't have the tools, you know, what am I going to do? Now, the healing process. Mm -hmm. How can we effectively heal childhood emotional trauma? Many methods and modalities have tried to uh, address this. And some are effective and some are uh, less effective than others. But my personal experience with healing um, that's not spiritually based or centered 
is that it's limited. And I've, you know, I've been in and out of therapy and workshops and retreats and all of the things. And until God was a part of the healing process, no real healing was taking place. It was like trimming the branches on a bush, um, but then they would grow right back. And you had to keep just trimming it to keep it in this particular shape that you wanted. And it kept growing back. But there's something about working with a law and bringing a law into the picture and knowing that a law is the only healer that no psychiatrist or yourself or your sheikh can magically take something away from you and genuinely believing that Allah is the healer and inviting him into your darkest, most painful spaces and being willing to be that vulnerable and that open and not be afraid to feel the feelings and have Allah be there with you in them is what uproots the tree from its root. It's no longer this maintenance maintenance process of cutting off the branches. It's taking the illness the sickness out by the root and just knowing you cannot ever do that on your own or have someone else do it for you it is something only for Allah but Allah only responds to those who ask and ask very deeply and sincerely and openly and vulnerably so that's kind of the root of the spiritual healing process is how to get ourselves to the place where we're very vulnerable open and willing to not be ashamed about these things that we've been covering up and hiding for so long and know that Allah is the only one who can heal, move, wash and clean these places within ourselves and that it actually really takes little to no effort other than surrender which sounds easy but it really isn't <laughs> so um, surrender, vulnerability, openness and deep connection with Allah I think those those are the basic tools in the toolbox and of course there's different methods and modalities to use these things together that um, you know could be further explored in uh, different healing modalities that I use with my clients now before we conclude do you have any suggestions for our listeners any suggestions on in terms of healing in terms of healing identifying recognizing the voices or even remembering the experience I think the biggest thing that everybody should start with is just and it sounds much easier than it is, is just acknowledge, how do we acknowledge what we're feeling? How to just, in the moment when we're feeling a feeling, not to try and escape from it, not to try and hide from it, not to try and wear a mask, just be like, wow, I'm feeling angry. And you don't have to do anything about it. You don't have to throw a chair or swallow it or pretend like you're not angry. Just the simple acknowledgement of the feeling is huge. It feelings just want to be they, they're like visitors like that that Rumi poem the the guest house you know they they just want to pass in and out but if you block them from passing they get stuck somewhere in your body so a lot of people don't even know what they're feeling so I guess my invitation to everybody is just start really taking a good look at how you feel what are you feeling do you feel angry do you feel sad do you feel happy do you feel sorrow and let the feeling be okay without judgment. Just be the observer, you know. Feeling shame or feeling sad is not a bad thing. It's just a feeling. So that's my recommendation. Good place to start. That's beautiful. Thank you very much. You're Thank welcome. you very much. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And uh, of course, we would like to have you again. Inshallah. Thank Inshallah. you so much. Inshallah. Yeah. Thank you for listening. 
please visit us at uh, soulofislamradio.com. Please subscribe to our podcast and share with loved ones. Uh, help us and help our community. To learn more about Dina, please visit dinaelkousi.com. That's D-I-N-A-E-L-K-O-U-S-S-Y.com. To learn more about the Leading Edge Islamic Meditation Program, where you can get free and instant access to a powerful mini-course in Islamic spirituality, as well as a complimentary meditation audio soundtrack, please visit islamicmeditation.com. With that, may peace and blessings be upon your soul. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.